Our scripture today, the means by which God will speak to us today is Colossians chapter 2, verses 20 through 23. So turn in your Bibles if you have them or in the pew Bibles there before you uh, to the second chapter of Colossians. We will begin in verse 20. Paul is beginning to kind of wind, wind down the initial section of his book and we'll pick up and shift gears a little bit in chapter 3. But verse 20 of chapter 2. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body. But they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, we ask simply what we have already asked. Speak, O Lord, to us through your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As much as we seem to rebel against them, human beings like rules. They like keeping rules. We, we have rules that guide our daily lives, whether they're imposed upon us by a government or even sometimes imposed upon ourselves, on us by ourselves. Even in our morally relativistic culture where doing whatever feels right seems to be the norm, we live by a set of rules. Dove chocolates. I don't know if any of you eat dove chocolates, but they're little individual candies. If you look on the inside of their wrappers, they have sayings. And, and some of them are trite little sayings. Some of them are funny little sayings. You can even uh, uh, make up your own sayings and send them to Dove Chocolate, and they'll print them on there as well for an, for an extra fee. But some of them almost turn into rules for life in a morally relativistic world. Rules like satisfy your sense of surprise. Rules like temptation is fun. Giving in is even better. Rules like do you. Or finally, forget the rules and play by your heart. These sayings can act as a group of laws setting the boundaries for, quote, completely enjoying a life without moralistic restraints. But typically, rules set by a culture have a tendency to govern behavior by a norm or by an overarching rule that sets the course of that particular culture. And surprisingly, these rules for living come not only from a religious corner, but also from a pagan or a mystic corner. And that is what we see today. Paul is taking us to the point in his letter today where the legalisms of Jewish Christians and the legalism of the pagan mystics meet. And in talking about those, he gives us the antidote for the false wisdoms of this world. So today we are going to look at the difference that a death makes. We're going to look at wisdom that is worth living by. And we're going to consider the only antidote to sin. First, the difference that a death makes. From a worldly perspective, if we do not consider uh, our eternal destiny, if we do not consider God, if we can just merely consider what we think about 
this life on this earth, death gives us a sense of freedom, freedom from the rules. Do you struggle with gravity? Death releases us from that struggle. We're concerned about the weather. Death releases us from that concern. Ben Franklin is credited with saying that the only sure things in this life are death and taxes. Death frees us from the concern of taxes. Pretty apropos for today. There are certain laws of living that we cannot escape from in this world. But when we die, we die to those laws and are, in a sense, free from them. That's the argument that Paul makes as he opens up this particular passage today. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Now, Paul's not writing to a bunch of dead people here. Paul is writing to a group of people who, by the power of the Holy Spirit, have been united to their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in his death. And what he is saying to them is in being united to Jesus in his death, you are free from keeping the rules. Now, we'll talk a little bit more about how that works out in our life as we progress on through the book of Colossians, because he's getting ready to give us in chapters three and four rules to live by rules to have a holy life. But what he is talking about here is the fact that we as humans fundamentally understand that there are rules that we are supposed to keep. He says in Romans in Romans that whenever we do things that agree with God's law, we prove that God's law is written upon our hearts. And so we understand whether consciously or subconsciously, we understand that there is an authority over us, an authority that has created us and he has rules for living. And that we break those rules. And the problem is that instead of going to him and seeking reconciliation in the way that he has given to us, we think that if we work just hard enough, if we follow the right number and the right types of rules, we can be reconciled to God. Or on the off chance God doesn't exist, we can at least have the good life. And says, so Paul is arguing in this passage that legalism comes to us through this understanding, conscious or subconscious, that there are rules out there that we must keep in order to be righteous and reconciled to God. And so Paul talks to the Christians there in Colossae, the Christians who heard the message from Epaphras, the glorious message that Christ had died for their sins, that Christ had taken the judgment that they deserved on the cross and had purchased for them redemption and reconciliation with God. These same Christians who are now being taught by these false teachers, whether they were the religious false teachers of the Judaizers or whether they were the pagan false teachers of the mystics, that there were rules to live by that would thereby make you reconciled or even more reconciled with God. And Paul says, here is the reality. Each and every one of us lives under the curse of not being able to keep the rules. But in union with Christ, you've died to that stipulation. You no longer have to keep the rules for reconciliation. 
You can't keep the rules from reconciliation. You no longer have to strive to keep the rules to be reconciled. Now, if you've been around for a few weeks, as we've worked our way through Colossians chapter 1 and Colossians chapter 2, this is a message that is not new to you. This is a message that Paul has repeated often throughout these first two short chapters of this letter. Why does he repeat it so often? Because we don't get it. We are so focused on keeping rules that it is easy for us to allow that to creep into our religion. We say, yes, it is enough to have believed in Jesus for salvation. But don't let me catch you in a movie theater. Yes, it's enough that Jesus has saved you and reconciled with God. But don't let me catch you. Doing whatever we add rules to our salvation, we we make it seem as though Jesus is not enough. And Paul says, look, this is who you are in Jesus You are dead to the rule keeping. You are righteous before God. There are no rules that you can keep that will make you any more righteous before God because because of Jesus work, you are perfectly righteous before God. Specifically, Jesus work on the cross, the work where he took our judgment upon himself so that we might have his grace so that we might have his righteousness. But Paul understands the fact that we constantly go back to our old way of living, constantly go back to try to keep the rules, thinking those rules will make us more righteous before God. But Paul says, no, Jesus death makes a difference for you. And so he tells us the difference that a death makes. Then he also goes on to tell us wisdom that is worth living by. He talks about some of the rules that they've heard. Talks about rules that say do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are rules that we'll consider more as we go along. He said these are all destined to perish with use. You know, we we you know, we live in a fitness obsessed culture. We live in a in a culture that's almost as bad as the Greeks in pursuing that perfect body, or at least what we consider to be perfect body. So we have to be careful with what we eat. Well, this wasn't the issue with these people. They were being told that if they ate certain foods or didn't eat certain foods, that it affected their salvation. It affected their righteousness before God. And Paul says, you're you're concerned about touching and handling and eating food that is gone as soon as you eat it. Paul even says in first Corinthians, he says, why do we worry over food? One of these days, food is going to be nothing to us. One of these days, the stomachs are going to be nothing to us. And who cares? As soon as you eat the food, it's gone anyway. But we worry over what or the Colossians worried over what they ate, what they ingested. And he says they're all destined to perish with use because why? Because they're based on human commands and teachings. Jesus were Jesus is quoted in Mark. We're reminded again in Acts chapter 10 that all foods are now open to the people of God. The the food laws of the Old Testament have been set aside and we can enjoy those things without guilt, without fear of God's judgment that were denied to the Old Testament Christians, to the Old Testament people of God. 
So anymore, anybody comes to you and says, hey, you know what? If you were a true Christian, you'll only eat a kosher diet. That's a man-made rule. That is not a rule from God. But it looks wise sometimes. He goes on to say that not only it is a human command and teaching, that such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom. Why do they have an appearance of wisdom? Let's take two people. Let's let's consider uh, two people before us. Someone who visibly keeps all the rules, all the laws, you know, the man with the family that is faithful to his wife, that is a, a good worker at his at his job. He has a great Christian work ethic. He is a man of integrity and, and a man of, of, of prestige in his community. And then the, the lady over here that struggles with addiction, sometimes not struggling well. Which person are we more likely to invite to our church? Now, honestly, which person are we more likely to invite to our church? Because we know the right answer. The right answer is the poor lady over here who struggles with addiction. But honestly, if I'm honest with myself, I'm inviting this guy over here that keeps all the rules. Because it looks like a great way to live, doesn't it? It looks so wise. But in 1 Corinthians, Paul says that's foolishness to go by the rules. True wisdom comes through the cross. True wisdom comes through understanding that there we cannot keep the rules. The wisdom of the world says you can and you can earn salvation. How many people do you talk to today that say, I don't go for all that religious stuff because I'm a good enough person. God's going to accept me no matter what I believe. That's the wisdom of the world. True wisdom says you can never be good enough. You can never measure up to what God has decreed is necessary for reconciliation with him. And in fact, if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes the rule keeping makes us worse off. I've said it before. If I can keep the rules, I become very proud, do I not? Man, look at how good I am. Look at how well dressed I am. Look at how righteous I am. I I wish you guys could be righteous like me. We become proud. In keeping the rules, we forget God. We forget that we need Jesus as the only reconciler between us and God. True wisdom reminds us that we cannot keep enough rules to ever please God. True wisdom runs counter to the cultural idea of outward piety. Do we not understand that hell will be filled with a lot of morally good people? True wisdom looks to the one who gave the rules and gave salvation and seeks to find reconciliation on God's terms and on God's terms alone. So Paul tells us that a death makes a difference. Paul gives us wisdom, true wisdom that is worth living by. And then Paul talks about the only antidote to sin. We finish up with these words. With their self-imposed worship, John Calvin actually translates that as self Self-invented worship, their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence or another way to say that is fleshly desires. Is our outward 
behavior our ultimate problem? Where do the where do the Ten Commandments start? You shall have no other gods before me. Our problem is not our ability to keep the rules or our inability to keep the rules. Our problem is much deeper than that. It is a heart issue. The Westminster Confession or the Westminster Shorter Catechism question one asks, what is the chief end of man? What is man's ultimate purpose in this life? And the answer to that is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. But we typically live by the answer to glorify myself and enjoy the things of the world as long as I possibly can. That's our problem. And rules cannot touch that. You could keep all the rules perfectly and you would still have a heart problem. A heart that is turned toward worshiping yourself and away from worshiping God. A heart that is turned toward gratifying your own desires instead of gratifying the desires that God has for you. And we need something more than rules to take care of that problem. The only antidote to sin is our union to Christ in his death. Now, we sell, we're going to celebrate the resurrection next Sunday, and we are right to do that. But our righteousness, our reconciliation before God is found on the cross. It is found in our union to his death. And we'll see the implications of our union to his resurrection as we move forward throughout the book of Colossians. But Paul reminds us before he moves to that section, he says, you are righteous and reconciled before God, not because of anything you did, because you can't do it. But because of what God has done on your behalf. Think back to the two people we thought of a little bit ago when we when we discussed the wisdom that is worth living by. Depending upon their relationship with God, the girl who struggles with addiction, sometimes failing, may be eternally better off than the man who looks like everything's okay, than the man who looks like he follows the rule and lives an outwardly righteous life. Because those rules cannot deal with his heart problem. Only Jesus can. So we've seen the difference that a death makes. We've seen wisdom that is worth living by. And we've seen the only antidote to sin. What rules do you live by? What rules do you strive to pursue? And more importantly, why? Do you pursue those rules? As I said, Paul's going to give us rules for holy living. But before he gives us the rules for holy living, he reminds us who we are. Through the faith that is given to us by the Holy Spirit, through the union with Christ that is given to us by the Holy Spirit, we are righteous before God before we follow any of those rules. Those rules we live out not to seek reconciliation with God, but to show that we have desires that are his desires to show that we love him, to show that we desire to glorify him and enjoy him forever. 
The only antidote to our sin is the grace and the faith that is gifted to us by God. That is the rule we must follow. Believe, confess, and you will have everlasting life. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Holy Father, we do thank you for these rules of holiness that Paul is going to give us. But we thank you more that we are righteous before you even when we fail in keeping those laws. We cannot even begin to keep those rules except for the fact that the Holy Spirit has taken the work that Jesus has done and has applied it to our lives through regenerating us, through uniting us to you. As we move forward into our pursuit of holiness, remind us that we are righteous. Remind us that we are reconciled. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.